morning. Well, this morning we are continuing our study in the Ten Commandments. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Exodus, chapter 20. Exodus 20. If you don't have a Bible, there's uh, ones provided for you in the pew rack right in front of you. Page 61 is where we are this morning. I'll just help you to follow along. Won't be much to follow along with in the sense that there's only one verse that we're looking at this morning. Um, but it might be helpful, I think, for you to orient yourself to looking at God's Word to see that this is indeed what He has said to us. Before we dive in, though, and uh, hear uh, my reflections on this text, let's go to the Lord once more and ask for help in both the, the proclaiming and the receiving of His Word. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Holy be your name, set apart be your name, magnified be your name, proclaimed be your name. For your name is worthy of praise, your name is worthy of trust, your name is worthy of protection, your name is a name above all names. There's no name like yours. Father, because of that, we need help this morning as we consider what it means to not take your name in vain. Lord, we are a people of unclean lips and we live among people of unclean lips. In our very hearts and in our world that we live, your name is often disregarded and blasphemed and used flippantly. And God, we confess that we are not above it. So Lord, would you help us? Lord, would you help us this morning? Would you help us to have a, a right estimation of your name, of who you are, that we might love you and delight in you and trust you and follow you? God, we pray that by your spirit you would work miraculously this morning, that you would convict those who do not yet know you, the great name of Jesus, the name by which anyone might be saved those who do know you, that you might help us and convict us of ways that maybe we are irreverent or disrespectful with your name. You might encourage us in ways that we are growing to delight in your name. Oh God, might you use this, this time for your glory and for our good. So give us eyes to see and ears to hear and minds to, minds to understand and hearts to believe, affections that are warmed and wills that are surrendered, bodies that are ready, to, even as we sang earlier, and tongues that would be reserved to use your name rightly. Oh God, aid us. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, names are indeed important. Because names are, it's not just what somebody's called, but it's, when you hear somebody's name, there's, you associate things with, with that, that person. All right, so let's just try this for a moment. I'm going to say a name. I just want you to think of what, what comes to mind when you hear this person's name. Tom Brady, the goat. It's exactly, I had goat written down. That's correct. Goat, in case you're like, he's a goat? I thought, no, greatest of all time, okay? Some sports, there's debate who's the best. There's just not when it comes to who's played the quarterback position. He is the greatest of all time. No debate. Mother Teresa, kind, charitable, loving, even if you disagree with maybe her, her, her approach to faith, you would acknowledge that she was a tender, compassionate woman who loved poor and, and the outcast. Albert Einstein, Verizon, right, so, no, <laughs> genius, brilliant, right? I mean, dude was crazy, crazy, crazy brilliant. Adolf Hitler. Wow, you can hear the moans because you think if there was ever evil incarnate, it was him. A vile, wicked man. Rosa Parks. Brave, courageous. Right? See, a name isn't merely what someone's called. A, a name is who they are. When you hear someone's 
name a flood of ideas and emotions and perceptions and desires even rush in. This is true of people, and it's also true of of God. When we hear God's name, there are ideas and perceptions and, and desires that flood in about him. Some are correct and some are, are incorrect. According to the scriptures, God's name carries great weight. It encapsulates who, who he is, what he's like, what he will do, and why we can trust him. This is why it is of vital importance that God's people guard the way we use his name. Which brings us to the third commandment. We are studying the Ten Commandments. We saw two weeks ago that you shall have no other gods before him. He's the only God. There's, there's none like him. Last week we saw don't make anything that looks like him. Right? Don't make, no, make no idols. This week we are considering how we ought to use his name. Listen to this from Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. I'll read it again. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. If we're going to summarize what this, this message is about this morning for us, it could go something like this. Only use God's name in a way that honors who he truly is. Only use God's name in a way that honors who tr- he truly is. So the commands in the negative, there's a positive kind of uh, re- rewording of it. But this morning we're thinking about the name, the name of God. And as we've said, we're going to attempt to approach each of these messages through a similar grid where we're going to be asking and answering three questions. What kind of God would command this? What kind of God would would give a command like this? And secondly, what kind of people would need a command such as this? And then thirdly, how should we obey this command? What kind of God would give this? What kind of people would need it? And how should we then live? How should we obey it? So what kind of God would would command this? Such a thing to say, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. What kind of God would care about the way his name is used? Well, a God whose name is full of meaning and value and worth. A God who knows that what we think about him determines our joy and our peace and our security in this life and for eternity. The name of the Lord is is meaningful. It's not merely what God is is called, It's, it's who he is. His name communicates his standing, his reputation. It is a summary of his his character, of his person, of what he is like. Everyone has ever wondered, is there a God, and if so, what's he like? God says, my name tells you who I am and what I am like. It's, It's how we know him, which is what we were created for. It's to know his name. He tells us right here, the name of the Lord, the Lord your God. The Lord there in, in all caps is Yahweh. It, it's used of God depending on, on who you're asking, and I didn't count them all because when I saw it, it was somewhere between six and 7,000 times, I trusted somebody else who did the counting. But it's a lot of times. Six to 7,000 times the name of the Lord Yahweh is used in the Old Testament. Yahweh is is the Lord, is, is the name that God most often uses to describe himself as a covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. He's a God who makes promises and keeps promises. 
Now, if, if I said, hey, somebody made me a promise, they promised me that they're going to pay off my house. You might ask, what's your follow-up question? Who, who made that promise? Because you can either know, you know, is Bill Gates, you're like, oh, snap, does he, he need some other, you know, maybe, maybe he needs somebody else to give some money. Because you you, maybe he's, he's able to do that. I don't know if he would, but anyway. The, the point is, if somebody's going to make a promise, you've got to know if they're going to keep it. Well, God says, when I make a promise, I keep promises. I don't, I don't lie. I'm not, a, I'm not like a man who's fickle and who changes his mind and who you might trust might not. When I say something, take it to the bank. Because God does not lie. Yahweh is the covenant the name of the covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. This is how God revealed himself to, to Moses. So if you study through the book of Exodus and everything that's going on around these Ten Commandments, the name Yahweh is all over the place. This is how God revealed himself even to Moses. You remember back in chapter 3 at the burning bush when Moses is like, who am I going to say sent me? And he said, I am who I am sent me, sent you. This is the Lord, I am, I am the God who has forever been, who forever will be, who needs nothing, who is complete, completely sufficient in himself. He is Yahweh. He is the Lord. And it's interesting when you read throughout the Old Testament, God gives us different spins on his name. Again, depending on how you... You count it, there's somewhere between seven and 700 versions of God's name. I don't know who these people, how they're counting them up, but there's, there's lots of different versions of God's name. Not because there's a whole bunch of different gods, but what God does is he says his name and then he, he ties it to something else so we can learn something about him. It fills his name with meaning. It goes from just black and white to HD and to, to you know, VR, virtual. I mean, it's like you, you feel the weight of who he is. He's Yahweh Jireh, the Lord who provides all that his people need. He's Yahweh Rapha, the Lord who heals the body of sickness and disease and the soul of the stain of sin. He's Yahweh Shalom, the Lord who is peace and gives peace. He's Yahweh Sabbath, the Lord of hosts who fights for his people. He owns the armies of angels and can send them at any time. He's that God. He's El Roy, the God who sees, used of God when he saw Hagar, who had been mistreated and was out by herself all alone, wondering how she was going to make it. And God showed up and he saw her in her pain all by herself. He visited her there in her desperation and he said, he is El Roy, the God who sees He's El Olam, the God who is from everlasting to everlasting. No beginning, no end, no hiccups in between. He is forever been, from everlasting to everlasting, Psalm 90 says. He is God. He's El Shaddai, God Almighty, who possesses ultimate power over all. It's his name, it's who he is. And when the Lord Jesus comes, we see his name, God's word incarnate. Names used of God in the Old Testament now are used of Jesus. You'll remember that the, the angel came to Joseph and says, you shall call his name Jesus for what? He shall save his people from their sins. Yeshua means Savior. He's the God who saves. This is who he is. This is who God is. He's the one who came, and he's the one who's going to come again. Revelation 19, the scene of the end when the Lord Jesus returns. The name by which he is called is the word of God. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. That's right. That's who he is. See, when God gives his name, he wants your heart to be lifted to say, I want a God like that. It's full of worth and meaning and value. And notice also here, you shall not take the name of the Lord, your God, in vain. This command is a personal command. He's not just some, some God out there. 
if you are God's people, <laughs> he, this is your God. He's a personal God. God gives his name. He reveals himself that he might be known. Deism is a false idea about God that he just made it, spin it, and he's off on vacation now. No, no, no. He is a God who is near, who wants to be known. Not just any God, but your God. God reveals who he is so that we can take his, take his name into our hearts and over our lips. That we might trust his name. Delight in him and respond to him rightly. Just listen to this, Psalm 8.1. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. His name's majestic. It's lofty. It's, it's noble. It's magnificent. It's beautiful. How majestic is your name in all the earth. Psalm one thirteen three. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. Because of who he is, there's a right response to him. You praise him. Sometimes you don't even have the words to do it, but you're like, yes, whatever, yes, him. It's to be praised. Psalm 29.2, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Psalm 115 says similar, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Because of God's greatness, the greatness of his name, Glory is to be given to his name. Now, what's glory? All right, this is a word if you've been around church for a minute, you've heard this. Glory or glorify God. What's it, what is God's glory? The word glory comes from the Hebrew word kavod, which, which means weight or, or heavy burden. Something that is heavy, that is weighty. That the name of the Lord is weighty with meaning. You remember Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6 when he stands before the holy God and the, the angels are crying out, holy, holy, holy. And they're covering their eyes and covering their feet and serving. And you remember Isaiah, what does he say? Woe is me for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. God's name is to be glorified. It is to be spoken of, related to in such a way that it shows properly who he is. God's people must use God's name in a way that properly displays, upholds, and affirms his glory. This does not mean that we add glory to God. So to give glory to God does not mean we're, we're loaning him some glory. That's Mormonism. That's a different religion. You don't add to God's glory. The God of the Bible, you add nothing to. You just recognize who he is. And that ever increases for you. But he is always ever glorious. The way we speak, the way we act, if appropriate, honors and reflects who God is. And listen, when we speak, of kings or princes or presidents, regardless of how pathetic of a ruler they might be, we still, we still prescribe them honor because of their position. Mr. President, I respectfully disagree. Your majesty. That's of a ball of dust who's going to be in a box soon. How much more the God of glory who has always been. How much glory and honor is due his name. The name of God who truly is great. This is what's behind the heart of the third commandment. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. You shall not 
carry his name. You shall not lift his name. You shall not speak his name in a way that is vain. Vain, in, in this sense, is speaking of, of something that is futile, that is empty, that is pointless, that is worthless, that is meaningless. So the, the NIV and the CSB would translate this, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord. I mean, just think about it. When somebody, when someone slanders you, so slander is to, to speak a lie about you. When someone slanders you and says things about you that mischaracterize who you are or something that you did, how does that land on you? Nobody likes that, right? It, it, grieves, it grieves us. Now think about that. We're... We are sinful people who have a lot that could be criticized. You'd be like, that ain't true, but I'm sure you're glad you don't know everything else about me, <laughs> right? Because, I mean, <laughs> there's plenty of stuff that people could say about us that would not be flattering. But that's not true of God. There's nothing that you can ever charge him with. There's nothing you can ever criticize him of. There's nothing we can ever condemn him of. So to speak of his name in such a way that belittles who he is or distorts who he is is a severe sin. It's a severe sin. Taking his name in vain, emptying it of the glory and the weight of who he is, it's a serious sin. God will avenge those who misuse his name. Exodus 20, verse 7, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. God will not overlook those who belittle his name, who mock his name, who use his name as a joke. Leviticus 24, 16, whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him. The sojourner as well as the native, when he blasphemes the name, shall be put to death. Now, I suspect that many of our first response to that is, whoa, that seems excessive. But the reason that we think that's excessive is because we have too low a view of God and his name. This is high spiritual treason. There's plenty of lands where you misuse the name of a ruler and it's off with your head. How much more a holy God? This is what God wants us to understand about himself. So what kind of God would prescribe a command such as this? Well, a God whose name is full of great meaning and value and worth and deserves honor and glory and praise. The one true God who welcomes us to worship him through his son, Jesus Christ. That's the kind of God that would give a command like this. Well, what kind of people would need a command like this? This is going to be very brief, and then we're going to show how with much more of our time. What kind of people would need this command. A command like this is needed for people who are prone to falling into spiritual dullness, who can know God's name, can know a bunch of stuff about God, can understand his character, probably even do pretty well on a Bible test, and yet remain unaffected by it, or can grow apathetic and cold to him. This was true of Israel, and it is true of of the church. God's people in every age are prone to this sort of, of temptation. Where we have a casual, a casual attitude toward God that does not rightly see him for who he is and does not rightly value him for who he is, but strives again and again, as we talked about last week, to kind of bring him down to our level. Casual attitudes toward God cultivate vain words about God. Casual attitudes toward God cultivate vain words about God. If you think lightly of someone, you speak lightly of them. But if you think 
well of someone, you would speak well of them. Matthew 15, 8, Jesus says, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. They're saying stuff, but their heart is far away. That is vanity. That is vain worship. It is emptying worship of my name of what it is supposed to be. Vain worship, taking his name in vain, flows from a heart that is far from God, a heart that has been emptied of, of love or at least diminished, of missing rightful reverence, off on tenderly treasuring, treasuring him, not deeply delighting as we ought, not fostering fervent fellowship with him. The posture of the heart that is apathetic toward the Almighty is, it is sick. It is spiritual sickness. It's a withering, dying heart, as it were. Well, the antidote to vain words and worship about God is to fill our hearts with the weight of who God is. To fill our hearts and our mind with the wonder of His name. So affectionate attitudes for God cultivate honoring words about God. Fellowship with God dispels flippancy toward God. So what kind of people need a command like this? I think there's a room full of them right here, and there's a guy up front who needs it. This has been wildly convicting for me this week and thinking about this. We are all just so prone to being casual toward the Holy One. So now finally, how should we obey this command? How should we obey this command? Some Jews in history have gone so far as to say that, that the way that you obey this command is simply to never speak God's name at all. Because if you don't speak God's name at all, then you will not be taking it in vain. Even if they, they write the name of God, they would write it with G-D. And I would say that that, is, that may be well intended, but that misses the heart behind the command. It misses the heart behind really all of, of Scripture, right? God has revealed his name to guide our heart, to guide our soul, to fill our mind in thinking well about him and loving him rightly and delighting in him and marveling in him. So the prescription of the command to not take God's name in vain is, is to not avoid God's name, but to honor it. And surely it's better to not speak God's name than to blaspheme it. But God's goal in giving his name to us is for our hearts and our lips to be filled with his name. His name should be on our lips. So what I'd like to do now is I'd like to give us seven ways to avoid taking God's name in vain. And four ways to honor God's name. I might have thrown in a fifth at the end. Nope, that's four. Okay. Number one, do not use God's name in a false oath. Do not use God's name in a false oath. Leviticus 19.12, you shall not swear by my name falsely or so profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. Now, taking vows with God's name were a common part of Israel's life, but if you're familiar with the, the, the Gospels, you know that uh, by Jesus' day, the system had become corrupted by the religious leaders of the day, and they made different sorts of vows, kind of different levels of, of vows. We had it read for us this morning by Scott, right? Maybe you'd, you'd swear by your hair. Or maybe you'd swear by Jerusalem, or maybe swear by the temple, or swear by heaven, and then maybe if you really, really mean it, you'd swear by God. But, but, but what you swore by depended on kind of how serious it was. And Jesus says, y'all are tripping, that is not it, you're missing the whole point. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. When you speak and you promise something, you are taking God's name in vain if you don't keep that. 
particularly if you tie his name to it. This is why Jesus said, do not take an oath at all. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Brothers and sisters, those of you who might be visiting and don't yet know Jesus, I just want to encourage you, do not, do not make a promise to God that you do not intend to keep. Do not swear flippantly to him. I remember a time when I was in college, I was not a Christian, um, and I was in a bad situation. And I remember praying, God, if you will get me out of this one, I promise you I will never do this again. And in God's kind providence, situation was resolved. And what did I think? Bet, let's go back. And I just went right back to my old way. Because I didn't fear him. I, I took a vow falsely. And there are some very real consequences that came after that, I think. We must be very careful to make a vow in God's name. To say, I swear to God. Now, I do think there's some perm permissible ways to do this. For instance, um, one would be, be if you are in court. Some courts do this, some do not. Where you will swear in, you swear by God that you will tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Or another time, anytime you have a wedding up front and you have a couple making vows to one another before God that their marriage will be bound by, you're invoking God's name into that. Those things, I think there's, there's freedom to do those. But they must be lived out then with great trepidation before God. These are not flippant things. Do not take do not, do not use God's name in a false oath. Number two, do not use God's name in false teaching. Do not use God's name in false teaching. Jesus warned that false teachers would come trying to deceive people. They're going to come in God's name, but they're going to be speaking lies about his name. A common way that this happens is condoning sin in the name of God. Condoning sin in the name of God. So for instance, our nation's history and our Southern Baptist church's denomination's history is scarred with the false teaching of the curse of Ham. That pastors and preachers and Christians used to encourage and allow and promote slavery of fellow image bearers who had dark skin. It was a false teaching. They were lying about God. If you'd like to read a whole bunch on that, I wrote a, 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 a post for TGC called Damn the Curse of Ham. You can read that and see about that false teaching and ways that it was used in church history. They lied about God to pad their pockets. Today, churches who embrace and promote the acceptance of immoral lifestyles in God's name and even use the sign of a rainbow, a sign of his covenant to do it. A covenant that when you see the rainbow, what somebody's supposed to think is God is being merciful to us. He has hung his bow in the sky. He no longer has it drawn in wrath but now is a day of mercy. To take a symbol of God's mercy against sin, to then turn it into a symbol of indulging in sin is a, is a ferocious attack against the name of the Lord. The prosperity gospel that assures basically baptizes the American dream that if you have enough faith, you're gonna be comfortable and healthy and wealthy that is another way of twisting God's name. Turns God into basically a portfolio manager. It's blasphemous. God says people who do those sorts of things and, and do not warn about the judgment that comes for indulging in those sorts of human belittling, sin belittling, name belittling, sins in the name of God, that there is a great judgment coming. Hear what God thinks about them. Jeremiah 6.13, speaking of false prophets, he says, from the, to the, from the least to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for unjust gain. 
and from prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. They have healed the wound of my people lightly. Peace, peace, where there is no peace. Listen, you don't have to go to this church, but please do not go to a church that lies to you in God's name. No matter what the world says and how much it applauds it, do not listen to any voice that lies to you in God's name. No matter how much you want something to be true. It is a terrifying prospect for those who do that and will not repent. So do not use God's name in a false oath. Do not use God's name in false teaching. Thirdly, do not use God's name in a foul way. Do not use God's name in a foul way. Now, every culture's language contains words that are socially off limits or offensive. There are basically three kinds of what you might call cuss words. All right, so you have profanities, which are words that profane the holy or the divine. Secondly, you have obscenities. Those are words that describe bodily functions uh, in obscene or offensive ways. And then thirdly, you have abusive words. These are typically ethnic slurs that demean people's values. They're words that are, you know when you hear them that you're like, oh, right? The third command um, deals with the first category there, using words that profane or disrespect or make light of divinely related realities. So I'm going to use a few words here in instruction. Talk to some elders about it. Here we go. It's, this, is, this is how you learn. Hell. To invoke the place of eternal torment into a conversation. It's hot as hell. Go to hell. To invoke the place of God's eternal torment flippantly upon weather for somebody who you just kind of don't like or are joking around with is a very weighty thing. And the fact that it's so casual to us, I think should be striking. Damn. To damn something is to call God's wrath upon something. Damn it. Damn you. To say that is to call down God's unquenching wrath upon a situation or a person. That's what the word means. Bear with me. God, damn it or you, takes the last one even further by tying God's holy, precious name, invoking his name in the the damning of some thing or person, most often so flippantly. This is why it's important to not just say, you don't say words because they're bad. Moralism, being good for goodness sake, does not help you. Understand what, these, what a curse word is. You're calling a curse down on someone. Understanding what those words mean ought to make us Shudder and never use them flippantly or angrily. God's wrath and his very character is no vain thing at all. If I may, I, t- I try to not afflict people's consciences, but here you go. I want to afflict your conscience. May you feel uncomfortable every time you're watching a show that takes God's name in vain. I mean that for your own soul's sake. Because anything you can learn to laugh at, you will learn to get just forgive. You're like, I might never watch a show again. Okay, like, that's fine. I don't care, like, at all. Now, in God's kind providence, he's given us something called clear play, which I get no royalties from, but you can, you can click it, and it'll take out every sort, single blasphemy. I don't know how they do it. Praise the Lord. You can click it, they all gone, and then you can watch your show, okay? Do not use God's name in a foul way. 
Number four, do not use God's name flippantly. So related to the last category, but maybe more innocently in one sense, is to use God's name as a sort of mindless interjection or as a filler for conversation. So, the, f- the popular phrase, OMG. OMG stands for, oh my God, right? OMG, her, her Insta's so fire, right? Like, okay, fine. I'm glad you like her Instagram page. But there's no need to OMG it. I'm just, this is what it means. And you're like, well, what I mean is, oh my gosh, oh, do you? Okay, but does everybody else know that? Just email info at drbc.org. It's fine. Annette will take care of them all. Listen, it's fine. Listen, I recently have heard people say, oh God, or oh Jesus, as interjections about a Starbucks drink being too hot. I know why you're laughing. It's not funny a jump shot being missed, and someone's driving being awful. They were from Maryland. But um, it's, a, it's a commonly known fact. Maryland drivers are the absolute worst. Sorry. If you're great from Maryland, the Lord redeems everything. Yes. It's fine. Anyway. With all seriousness, though, to bring God's name flippantly into those sorts of things as a way that's just filler words does not honor him, right? It, it empties his name of the weight and the glory associated with who he is. And, and listen, everybody needs discernment of what this looks like. So in our family, you know, our, we've told our kids, listen, let's just not even say, oh my gosh, you're like, that's legalistic. Fine. Do it different in your family. But we say, don't say, oh, my gosh, because there's times I hear him say, oh, my gosh, and it sounds like, oh, my God. And I, I can't hear the difference. So just, oh, my goodness. And for some of you, like, goodness is too close to gosh. I'm like, okay, figure it out. But everybody, you've got to figure out what, but you've got to be thoughtful in the way that you use words. And this can happen in, in personal devotional life as well, Right? So I have been so convicted recently because I say, praise the Lord. Now, praise the Lord. Amen? Hey, right? But, but not, I mean, this morning, somebody came into my office and they said something that I wasn't even really listening to them. And I said, praise the Lord. And I just thought, oh, my goodness, here we go. I was like, this is just me saying, praise the Lord. I didn't even mean it, really. Now, listen, if you've been... When I coach basketball teams, and I will pray for a kid going down for a layup. I'm like, Lord, have mercy on him. And I mean that. Please, we need the bucket. So it's okay to pray for all kinds of stuff. But if you, you can engage in Christian words and words about God just flippantly in a way that really empties it of meaning. This can happen in our rituals, right? Prayer. Think about prayer. So in our family, we pray before we eat. We do this to remind ourselves that what we have is a gift from God and it didn't just show up here. God has provided for us. But there's a real temptation sometimes to pray real quickly, right? And just even thoughtlessly. Good food, good meat, good God, let's eat. You know, just eat and then you're done. And, but like, what is that? People do that kind of stuff. Lord, thank you for the food. Amen. Everything, amen. And you just scarf it down. And there's not really thinking there. So I would encourage us to take a deep breath, pray, make it meaningful, which does not mean it needs to be long. It just needs to be thoughtful. Jesus warned us against heaping up empty phrases. Kevin DeYoung in his book on the Ten Commandments gives an, another example of ways we can do this with using God's, thoughtless, God's name thoughtlessly in prayers. Something like, Father God, Lord, we come before you, Father God, and thank you, Father, for dying on the cross and rising from the dead, Lord Jesus, to help Help us love you. There's a few problems with that. First, it's a mess of the Trinity. The Father didn't die on the cross. Secondly, God's name gets treated like a comma. Which, again, if, that's, if you're like, I'm just, I'm just talking to him. Like, that's between you and the Lord. That's fine. I'm just saying there are times that we can start to use his name in a way that we're not even thinking about it. 
That can happen in singing. I mean, I assume this morning some of you may have potentially been tempted that we're singing songs to a holy God about holy things and your mind is somewhere else on something else. I think in those moments, first of all, do not be overwhelmed with condemning guilt. Just realize the Lord knows that we are but dust. And at the same time, grab it and say, Lord, help my mind and my heart to be focused now. Help me to sing to you. Grab grab me. Help me, Lord. That honors him. But be, be careful. Listen, singing is spiritual warfare. Praying is spiritual warfare. Reading the Bible is spiritual warfare. That's why it's hard to focus. Here in just a little bit, Tim's going to come up and he's going to get baptized, Lord willing. And he's going to get baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He's going to take his name and say, I'm with Jesus now. Praise the Lord. But that requires something now. Because from here on out, how many of you came this morning to see Tim get baptized? All right. They see some witnesses. Yes, praise the Lord. Mean that. And listen, <laughs> like that means something now. He's, he's, he's associated with Jesus. Be mindful of that for those of you who have been baptized. Also, taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. Don't just go through the, the motions, welches and wafers, right? I mean, like it's appetizer before we go out to eat. No. Consider the Lord's Supper. It's his. It has his name on it. I think one of the most common ways we can take the Lord's name in vain is the way we take the Lord's Supper. Be careful. We'll talk about that more tonight at the members meeting. Number five, do not use God's name to further a personal agenda. Do not use God's name to further a personal agenda. God's people can be tempted to use God's name in a way that manipulates others for your own selfish benefit. Now, I understand there can be some, there's some degrees of I didn't mean to do it that way kind of thing, but this is a category that we all need to give, give thought to, especially those of us who come from, from backgrounds that the God told me or God said this to me kind of stuff is very regular. There's, there's ways that you can use God's name to further personal agendas. For instance, uh, in, you can do that in business. Now, here in the, up here, it doesn't help so much to be a Christian. But in the South, listen, y'all, if you're not a Christian, everybody thinks you're a suspect. So that's why they literally, in the town that I used to pastor in, they had something called the Shepherd's Guide, which was a database for Christian businesses because you could trust them and you want to support fellow believers. Now, you think some people pretending that they Christians and put a little fish on their truck so that you get them over to do your plumbing? That can happen. That could be taking the Lord's name in vain. You're putting his name on a personal agenda. Or, I don't know if you've heard about this, but sometimes politicians will sometimes use God's name in order to get elected. I'm not sure if you've heard of that or not, but that happens. Did you know that we've had 46 presidents? Does anybody know how many atheist presidents we've had? Zero, really. I don't think I believe that. Why have we never had an atheist president? Because the politicians are smart. They know you at least got to have the God thing on you in some way, shape, or form in order to get votes. Brothers and sisters, be very careful. There's a real pull over there to put a front on, especially depending on who's in office. Be careful. Using God's name to advance your political career takes his name in vain. Oh, I have so many examples. Uh, pastors can do this. Four years ago, televangelist Jesse Duplantis told all his people, God told him to buy a new $46 million jet. God told him to do it. No, he did not. All right, but he took God's name and said that he did. Or much more seriously, last summer, a report on sexual abuse in the Southern Baptist Convention came out. I didn't read all of it, but I read enough of it to be sick to my stomach for many reasons. But to see detailed accounts of how pastors use God's name to manipulate victims. Wicked. Same sort of thing can happen when you you apply God told me to a, a phrase as a sense of authority on our ideas, our plans, our opinions. God told me to do this or God told me to tell you this. 
are potentially dangerous because you're claiming to speak on behalf of God where he may well not have spoken. So, for instance, if a guy wants to break up with a girl and says, listen, God told me we're just not supposed to date. Bruh, uh-uh, stop it. Don't be, don't be blaming God for you just not wanting to date her. I'm serious, please. Just be honest. Just saying, I did pray about it. I think, I think, you're, I think you're a wonderful person. I just, I see us better as friends right now. That's straightforward, okay? Or whatever other thing, just don't blame it on God, okay? <laughs> or church building renovations. So our church is doing one. There's, there could be a real temptation by some to come out and say, listen, God wants us to do this. Your pastors did not do that because we didn't get any emails from Jesus. Like we, we prayed, we see a need, we think it's wise to do some stuff. And we see as best as we can tell, we think this is the right thing to do. There's a big difference there. We must all guard ourselves from claiming that we know God's will for something that is not scriptural. There's a real danger in dressing up our will and cloak it in the name of his will. Misusing that is a way to take his name in vain. Number six, do not use God's name to make false promises that God has not made. There's many ways that this happens. One of the ways I see it most regularly among God's people is when someone is sick. When someone is sick and a well-intended, well-intended person makes promises to somebody about the health of their loved one. We lived in Texas. There was a, there was a family whose the mother grew ill with a very severe cancer. She had four children. And one of and her husband was our youth pastor at the time. And some well-meaning pastors assured her and assured him that God had told them that she would be healed. And she did she died. And yes, she will be healed. The great resurrection, the Lord Jesus brings her forth from the grave. It wrecked him. He doesn't follow the Lord anymore. You see, God lied to me. God did not lie to him. They lied to him. And you can be really well-intended and try and make promises about things that you really, really want to be true. But just because you want them to be true does not mean that they will come to pass. Only God has the right authority and wisdom to know what will and will not come to pass. Do not use God's name to make promises that God has not made. Finally, do not claim God's name while living as a fake believer. Do not claim God's name while living as a fake believer, meaning to live as a hypocrite. To claim to know God, to say, I'm a Christian, and yet live in ways that are contrary to his character, confuse the world about who God is. Romans 2 says it this way, you who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law, for as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. I still remember a situation at a church that I used to pastor in Texas where there was a guy who had not been in church for like 20 or 30 years. He walked in, sat down, looked over, and saw a guy who had cheated him in business sitting in the church. He got up and walked out. Told me later that if that's what it means to be a Christian, I don't want to be one. I've heard many stories about that. So I want to say, if you're a Christian, you're going to sin, you're going to disappoint people, you're going to confuse people, that happens. But you've got to go back and you've got to make wrongs right. You've got to say, hey, listen, I didn't treat you right in business, or I lied to you, or I was not honest with you, or I was not straightforward, or I, I shouldn't have talked to you that way. I dishonored God, and I want to ask you to forgive me. That glorifies God. Which moves us to the final few considerations about how to not take God's name in vain. Well, the opposite is true. Use God's name in a way that honors who he truly is. 
Number one, seek salvation in the name of Jesus. Seek salvation in the name of Jesus. If you've listened to that list and you think, I've never done any of that, then God bless you. That is amazing. But all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's no one who lives on this planet who hears these commands and doesn't recognize that they have fallen short and that they need a Savior. The good news and the first way that you could repent of taking God's name in vain is to claim the name of the Lord Jesus who always took God's name in an honorable way and then died on the cross for all the ways that you didn't and then rose from the dead. Acts 4.12 of Jesus, there is salvation in no one else for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. You're like, I've done it too much, I've wandered too far. No, Romans 10.13, everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The name of Jesus is a strong tower. Run there and find refuge for your soul. The Lord Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood to wash away all of your blasphemies. And he welcomes those who have taken his name in vain to now take his name in a way that is honorable and worships him. So, seek salvation in Jesus' name. Secondly, speak God's name as holy. Speak God's name as holy. We, the opening prayer this morning before I began to preach, Matthew 6, 9, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Make that your prayer and make that your ambition and study. Study the names of God. Learn about him. Fill your heart. Fill your mind with the name of God, with his character, what he says he's like. Fill your affections. Let them warm by the fire of his name that you might know him and love him and cling to those things and say, God, you said you're like this. Help me trust you. Doing that, claiming his name in that way brings him much glory and much honor because he keeps saying, everything that's stuffed into your name is true. I trust you. Hallowed be your name. Speak God's name as, as holy. Thirdly, suffer for the sake of his name. Suffer for the sake of his name. Jesus said, if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but because I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they would also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. Brothers and sisters, if you're going to follow the Lord Jesus, it is going to require that you suffer for his name. Cling to his name in salvation. Herald his name, pray his name, speak his name as, you, as you're making the journey and be willing to suffer for the sake of his name. It brings honor to his name. When you are willing to, to lose a job or lose a relationship or to endure hard things in order to make a relationship right, when you ask for forgiveness, when you, when, you, when you suffer for his name, it says his name is worth it. He's worth it. He's valuable. He's holy. His name is true. We show that through our sufferings. And then fourthly and finally, set your heart on the day that you will bear his name. Set your heart on the day that you will bear his name fully and finally. Listen to this. Philippians 2, therefore God has highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's a it's true now, Jesus is the name above every name, but there's a day coming when every person who has ever lived, including everyone in this room, will be standing before the holy God whose name we've been talking about this morning. And when the name of Jesus speaks, people will either fall down because they know him and love him, or they will fall down and surrender because they're about to be judged. Which one you are is not determined on that day, it's determined in this day. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to flee to Christ and his name for grace. Today is the day. Flee to him. 
and have that day in view in every situation and decision. Every time you speak his name, every time you engage in anything, have that day in view and you will stand before him and bow before him because this is the hope of God's people. It's what's on our hearts and soon shall be on our foreheads. Revelation 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. On either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, each yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed there, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. And they will see his face, which was our hope of commandment too, and his name will be on their foreheads. The second and third commandments here, part of the promise of God's people is that one day, whatever it means for his name to be on us, that will be realized. Let your heart long for that day. And it will guard you from taking his name in vain. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we need help. We need help that we might guard our hearts and our minds and our tongues. Lord, in this room, filled people who have misused your name. Lord, I have done that. Lord, we know that your word tells us that you will not hold guiltless those who take your name in vain. So we, we acknowledge and confess that we have fallen short, and we thank you. We thank you for the hope that is in Jesus, that he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf, that he who had no guilt took our guilt for those who would trust in him. So, Lord, I pray that you would meet us wherever we are, whether we know you or don't, and help us to honor your great name. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.